I'm Scott Aniel, and you're listening to By the Waters of Babylon, a podcast dedicated to discussion of Christianity in a post-Christian culture. Christmas, a very mention of the word, produces delight and expectation in the hearts of people everywhere. Or does it? For some Christians, Christmas is a much-anticipated season to celebrate the birth of Christ. For others, it is also a time to encourage family closeness and tradition. But still others refuse to celebrate it at all, insisting that the season is rooted in pagan ritual and should be avoided. Added to this controversy is the growing concern of many Christians to put Christ back in Christmas, while the expanding secular culture of commercialism is forgetting the babe in the manger altogether. For instance, a national survey indicated that, quote, just over a tenth of Americans today believe Jesus Christ of Nazareth is the focus of Christmas, with almost nine out of ten people saying the holiday has become less religious. Much of the controversy for Christians, however, is largely due to ignorance and speculation. Add to this varying misinterpretations of scripture, and this creates a recipe for confusion. For believers on any side of the issue, whether a synthesis of celebrating Christ's birth and family tradition, an insistence upon focusing on Christ alone, or a rejection of the season altogether, a clear understanding of history and the Bible, plus reasonable common sense, must rule any discussion of Christ and Christmas. Much of the controversy surrounding Christmas is rooted in historical speculation. Countless arguments against celebrating Christmas have included stories of druid tree worship, pagan festivals, and human sacrifice. A brief sketch of the history of Christmas celebration may shed some light on the controversy. Opponents of Christmas often insist that the Christmas celebration and many of the traditions that people use today have their roots in pagan worship traditions. They argue that early Roman Catholics merged their Christmas celebration with already established pagan feasts, compromising with the pagans in order to pacify them and maintain peace in the empire. Even if this were true, it would not necessarily discredit celebrating Christ's birth on December 25th today. Nevertheless, there is very little concrete evidence to support such claims. It is true that Christians did not formally celebrate the birth of Christ until the 4th century. The only significant event that early believers celebrated was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. However, evidence suggests a more calculated decision to celebrate Christ's birth on December 25th than simply compromising with a pagan festival. In fact, some would argue that many Christians settled on December 25th as the birth of Christ before the formal pagan festival was instituted by Emperor Aurelian in 274. Whether the Christmas celebration or the pagan festival came first, no one can argue with the fact that the celebration of Christ's birth eventually degraded into a raucous festival of drinking and revelry. In fact, after the Protestant Reformation, many Protestant believers were so concerned with what the Christmas celebration had become that they banned the festivities altogether. Christmas was outlawed in England in 1645 under Oliver Cromwell, but was reinstituted when Charles II was restored to the throne. Strong Puritans in early America outlawed Christmas from 1659 to 1681, Anyone caught celebrating was fined five shillings. 
This rejection of Christmas in early America actually helped the revolutionary troops when General Washington attacked Hessian soldiers in Trenton, New Jersey, after crossing the Delaware on Christmas Day in 1776. Washington's troops surprised the German soldiers who made a big deal of Christmas and were engaged in a drunken celebration of the event. Moreover, after the Revolutionary War, Americans were especially suspicious of any English tradition. In fact, Congress was in session on December 25, 1789, the first Christmas under America's new Constitution. This all changed in the early 19th century. During this time, unemployment was high and gang rioting often occurred during the Christmas season. Class conflict was at its peak in America, and the lower classes would frequently stage violent protests during this time of year. These disturbances during Christmas motivated certain members of the upper class to begin to change the way Christmas was celebrated in America. In 1819, American author Washington Irving published The Sketchbook of Jeffrey Cran, a series of stories that included some about the celebration of Christmas in an English manor house. In these stories, Irving literally invented Christmas traditions, portraying this English squire as a kind man who invited peasants into his home for a quote-unquote traditional Christmas celebration. Also during this time, English author Charles Dickens penned A Christmas Carol, the classic holiday story emphasizing kindness and giving to all. With these publications, Americans in 19th century reinvented Christmas and transformed it from a disorderly day of drunken indulgence into a family-centered day of giving and nostalgia. These sentiments have characterized the Christmas season since that time, but unfortunately commercialism and greed have crept in and poisoned much of the good. One of the staple traditions of Christmas observance is the decoration of an evergreen tree. Though this seems to be one of the more accepted customs for Christians, it is nevertheless rejected by some for many of the same reasons they spurn the celebration of the holiday itself. Similar to arguments against the Christmas celebration itself, controversy surrounding the Christmas tree almost always includes an insistence that trees were objects of pagan worship in winter solstice festivals. There may be some truth to these claims, but valuing the beauty and symbolism of evergreens was hardly limited to pagan worshippers. Because evergreen trees remain green throughout the winter season, they have historically reminded people that the rest of the green plants would grow again when the sun was stronger and summer would return. For people around the world, evergreen trees have symbolized life and growth without any connotations of worship. Trees have also had significance for Christians, and most of the traditions connected with the Christmas tree today began as Christian customs. During the 11th century, religious theater was born to help illiterate masses understand the truths of Scripture. One of the most popular plays concerned Adam and Eve, their fall, and their expulsion from the Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden was represented by a fir tree hung with apples, which represented both the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The play ended with the prophecy of a coming Savior, and for this reason, this particular play was often enacted during the Christmas season. The one piece of scenery, the Paradise Baum, the Paradise Tree, 
became a popular object and was often set up in churches and private homes. It became a symbol of the Savior. Since the tree represented not only paradise and man's fall, but also the promise of salvation, it was hung not merely with apples, but also with bread or wafers representing the crucified body of Christ, and often sweets representing the sweetness of redemption. The wafers were later replaced by little pieces of pastry cut in the shapes of stars, angels, hearts, flowers, and bells. Eventually, other cookies were introduced bearing the shapes of men, birds, roosters, and other animals. Martin Luther was the first to add lighted candles to a tree to recreate the beauty of stars twinkling amid evergreens. German and English immigrants brought the Christmas tree to America. Here, too, fruits, nuts, flowers, and lighted candles adorned the first Christmas trees, but only the strongest trees could support the weight without drooping. Thus, German glassblowers began producing lightweight glass balls to replace heavier natural decorations. These lights and decorations were symbols of the joy and light of Christmas for many. Certainly the most offensive Christmas tradition to many Christians is Santa Claus. Even some believers who participate in other Christmas practices have strongly negative attitudes toward jolly old Saint Nick. Again, some of this reaction is rooted in misunderstanding and ignorance. The original Saint Nicholas was a priest in the late 3rd and early 4th centuries in what is now modern-day Turkey. He was known for his kindness— which included giving away all of his inherited wealth and traveling the countryside helping the poor and sick. He was also a strong opponent of Arianism and was persecuted during the reign of Roman Emperor Diocletian. He later found more religious liberty under the rule of Emperor Constantine the Great and attended the First Council of Nicaea in 325, where he strongly defended the deity of Christ. One of the best-known St. Nicholas stories of kindness is that he saved three poor sisters from being sold into slavery by providing them with a dowry so that they could be married. He left gold coins in the stockings that the girls had left by the fire to dry. People began to celebrate his kindness on December 6, the anniversary of his death. Even after the Protestant Reformation, St. Nicholas was revered, especially in Holland. Dutch families who immigrated to America in the 1770s brought with them the tradition of honoring St. Nicholas on the anniversary of his death. The name Santa Claus evolved from his Dutch nickname Sinterklaas, a shortened form of Sint Nicholas. The folklore surrounding this mysterious saint remained suspect for many non-Dutch Americans, until the publication of a silly poem called An Account of a Visit from St. Nicholas, attributed to a descendant of Dutch immigrants named Henry Livingston, Jr. The poem quickly grew popular and soon became known by its first line, "'Twas the Night Before Christmas." Livingston's poem is largely responsible for the modern image of Santa Claus, a jolly old elf who descends down chimneys to give gifts to children, and his miniature sleigh led by eight flying reindeer, which Livingston also named. This pleasant picture of Santa Claus was further ingrained in American culture with a series of engravings by Thomas Nast in Harper's Weekly and a set of paintings by Haddon Sunblom 
that appeared in Coca-Cola ads between 1931 and 1964. One other significant modern Christmas practice that upsets believers is replacing Christmas with Xmas. Many Christians insist that this is an attempt to take Christ out of Christmas. However, since the Greek letter that begins the word Christ is a capital X, key, Xmas is simply a shortened form of Christmas that has been used for hundreds of years in religious writings. The word Xmas is so common in advertising, most likely because Xmas and sale have the same number of letters, and Xmas is significantly shorter than Christmas. After careful consideration, believers can use the following conclusions to help guide their attitude toward Christmas. Number one, there is nothing holy about Christmas. Colossians 2, 16 and 17 clearly state that it is wrong to insist upon observing a particular religious festival. There is no scriptural command to officially celebrate the birth of Christ, and if someone decides not to participate in Christmas activities, he is not disobeying scripture. Furthermore, Christians should be careful not to view celebrating Christmas as a prescribed religious duty or a necessity for holiness. Believers have cause for concern regarding the increasing secularism of modern society, but they must be careful not to make too much of putting Christ back in Christmas as a biblical obligation. 2. The general celebration of Christmas began innocently, but developed into something displeasing to the Lord. History is clear that the raucous, drunken orgies that grew out of the Christmas celebrations were certainly sinful and displeasing to God, and any pagan worship connotations that may have existed in Christmas customs were ungodly. Number three, the modern reinvented Christmas is sufficiently disconnected from its historical antecedents. While certain historical roots of Christmas were certainly corrupt, The motives behind the season's reinvention and the subsequent outcome were, for the most part, wholesome and beneficial. Sentiments of giving and peace that abound even among unbelievers during this time of year are a clear demonstration of the common grace of God. 4. Christians should guard against the rampant commercialism and greed that dominate the modern Christmas season. Unfortunately, the vices of a culture driven by mass media and commercialism have slowly eclipsed much of the good that the season has to offer. Believers must not allow themselves and their families to be overcome with greed and materialism through the influence of pop culture. Additionally, some of the traditions surrounding Santa Claus may be harmful for Christians. For instance, telling children that they should be good because Santa is watching is deceiving at best and may actually confuse their views of God. How many professing believers view God as a jolly old man who threatens punishment for misbehavior, but will always give gifts in the end? Number five, the Christmas season can be a wonderful time for remembering Christ's birth and the reason for his coming. While the Bible does not explicitly command believers to celebrate the birth of Christ during a particular time of year, there is certainly nothing wrong with doing so, since remembering Christ's incarnation is part of Scripture. In fact, much profit can come from such an observance. 
the Advent and Christmas season, can be a time to refocus one's mind on Christ and the reason for his coming. The season can also be a ripe time for evangelistic opportunities. Number six, the Christmas season can be a wonderful time to encourage family closeness and to foster wholesome family traditions. Even unbelievers recognize the wholesome family sentiments of the Christmas season. This season is a wonderful time for relaxation and enjoyment with family members. Establishing family or church traditions during the season is a profitable exercise. Number seven, the celebration of Christmas is an issue of a legitimate Christian liberty. Christians should look to the principles of Romans 14 and 1 Corinthians 8 through 10 when deciding how they will participate in Christmas customs. Every believer must be convinced in his own mind, and he must not judge others who come to different conclusions on the matter, particularly when it comes to how Christians decide to celebrate Christmas in their own homes. There is nothing inherently wrong with celebrating Christmas or with a tree, presents, Santa Claus, or other traditions. Any one of them could be used for evil, but a person's attitude and motives in their use determines their value. Number eight, churches may celebrate Advent and Christmas, but only under the clear regulation of Scripture. Churches must be careful not to add to their worship elements, traditions, or ceremonies not prescribed in Scripture, though focusing sermons, hymns, and scripture readings on the incarnation of Christ during a certain time of year certainly fits under what scripture prescribes. Therefore, Christians can legitimately decide to do away with any observance of Christmas, or they can limit their observance to explicitly religious activities, or they can participate in all or some of the Christmas traditions and use them for wholesome purposes. Whatever one decides, He must not judge others who come to different conclusions. Thank you for listening to By the Waters of Babylon. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or other podcasting services. And if you enjoy the podcast, please give us a rating. You can find me on Twitter at twitter.com slash scottannual. I blog at g3min.org. And for articles, audio, and speaking itinerary, visit scottannual.com. Join me next time as we discuss issues related to Christianity in a post-Christian culture. Mm -hmm.